Well, it is always a privilege to be able to be with you and to share with you from God's Word. Like Steve said, my name is Greg Bradford, and I'm the high school pastor here at Lake Point Church. And, and if you will allow me to brag for just a minute, you know, I, 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 I get the opportunity to travel around from time to time and uh, see a variety of youth ministries and see what God is doing in churches uh, around the country. And there's a lot of talk out there these days about the next generation, and a lot of people are fearful and worrisome about, uh, about the next generation. Is there any hope for the next generation? And here's, I'm here to tell you today that hope is alive and well in the students that are here at Lake Point Church. I believe. I believe that we have some of the finest young people that attend here, and it is my great privilege and honor to get to serve alongside them. God is doing some incredible things in them and some incredible things through them. I think as a church, you can be incredibly proud. I'm married to uh, a, my beautiful wife, Rebecca, and we are celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary come this January. And so we're really excited about that. Sure, you can applaud, I know. I know it's for her and her perseverance. Um, uh, we also have three wonderful, amazing young children. And then we have two other ones. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we just have three kids, Jacob, Judd, and sweet little Abigail. And for some of you guys know our story with Abigail when she was born. She was actually born with a series of uh, significant heart defects. In the first year of her life, she had a couple of surgeries to surgically repair them. And so many of you guys have been praying for her and praying for her health. Specifically, some of you guys have been praying uh, for her energy. And I want you to know that we are grateful for that. Uh, but you can stop praying now, okay? She's three, and she's got all the energy that we can handle right now. Uh, no, no, I really do appreciate all the prayers that you guys have, uh, have extended to us, and uh, we are grateful. But I can tell you this, that, uh, that, that peace and seems to elude our household. For those of you guys with young children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It seems like there's always drama. There's always some sort of conflict. It is, our house is always full of noise and there's always a mess, right? We're just in this season of life and I see a lot of young parents of young children out there just nodding their head and there's, there seems to be this common prayer we all pray. We all pray for peace and quiet. Matter of fact, when I come home at night, I always know what kind of night we're going to have. Because before I walk in the, uh, the garage door, I listen inside. And if I can hear a lot of noise, if I can hear yelling and screaming, I know things are all well and good in our household. Because if I walk in the house and it's quiet, somebody is in trouble, right? And uh, I just know that that's a, it's, uh, a, a loud environment is just commonplace in this particular season of our life. And for many of us in this season of life, we just pray. We just pray for moments of peace and quiet. It's a prayer similar to what we pray for our world right now. Because if we were to be honest, we look at the news and we look at all the stuff that's happening in our world, our world just seems to be full of violence and sickness and things like terrorism. And quite frankly, there is no shortage in our world of things that will rob us of this sense of peace and serenity and security, right? Matter of fact, that same sentiment could be extended to a lot of believers that are here today. 
that you would say, that's kind of the way that I feel in my life. That for whatever reason, this idea of a peaceful life, a peaceful existence, that sense of calm in the midst of the storm has seemed to pass me over for some reason, despite all the promises that we have in Scripture, right? There's many of us here that would say this is real struggle for us, even though there are passages, like Jesus said in John chapter 14, he says, my peace I give to you. Before, his, before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, you know, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world, and I'm telling you these things so that you might have peace. Our passage today is Colossians chapter three. Look what Paul says to us about peace. He says this, now let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to what? peace. So there's a lot of us here today that would, if if we were really honest with ourselves, feel this incredible tension between what we read in scripture and the promises that we see from God about the peace that he wants to extend to us and what we really experience in life. Some of us feel this tension very deeply and personally in our lives right now. But before you feel as if this is simply just a personal issue, that the, the lack of peace that you're experiencing in your life is really just something that is private and internal, just ask the people that are closest to you. If they know or if they've noticed your lack of peace, ask your loved ones, do you think I've got a peace problem? Do you think this is something that I struggle with? And I guarantee you'd be surprised at your answer. Because a lot of them, you might start hearing descriptors like tense, preoccupied, distracted, easily agitated. And if those are the descriptors that they start to use when they describe you, you might have a peace problem. If when tensions rise, your tempers go up, or when margins seem to decrease, so does your capacity to connect deeply with other people and to connect with God, you might have a peace problem. And here's what we're gonna find today. That in order for you to have peace, it's going to cost you. But if we're really honest with each other, peace is something we just can't afford to live without. Peace will cost you, but we just can't afford to live without it. Now today, I don't want this to be an oversimplification of what for some people is a very complex issue. I understand that for some people this is deeply personal and this is uh, deeply complex. Nor do I wanna uh, uh, preach today a... um, an exhaustive list of things that uh, take our peace. But what I do wanna do today is I wanna take a look at this particular passage in Colossians because I think this passage highlights for us two of the great enemies of peace. We're gonna call those things today the peace takers, okay? The two great enemies of our peace, the things that are robbing us of joy and peace in our life. The first one is this. Bitterness, bitterness. Okay, so a couple of years ago, 
I was at the local Chick-fil-A, all right? Now, I, I frequent Chick-fil-A quite often, and so this was a couple years ago, back in the day when some of you may remember we only had one drive-through at the Chick-fil-A. Do you remember that, that day? I don't even know how we existed without two, drive, two lines at the drive-through at Chick-fil-A. It's like phones without cords. I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know how we, or phones with cords. I don't know how we ever existed, right? But I was at the Chick-fil-A in the drive-through and there were uh, two people in front of me and two people behind me when I, I, I saw out of the corner of my eye a car that was pulling into the, into the parking lot at the Chick-fil-A going the wrong way. And then I began to notice they put their blinker on and, it, and proceeded to make a U-turn into the drive-through at the Chick-fil-A, okay? Now, remember, there's two people in front of me. Clearly, there's a line behind me, but this person chose to jump in line right in front of my car. Now, I couldn't believe what was actually happening. I mean, I understand when people cut in line inadvertently, you didn't know where the line began or where it ended, but it's clear. It's a drive-through, and there's people in front of me and behind me, and this guy is cutting in line in the drive-through. I couldn't believe this was happening. And, and of all places, this is, this is like the Christian chicken place, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's almost borderline sacrilegious to cut in line and then eat that chicken sandwich, okay? You can't just, you just can't do it. I couldn't believe this was happening. So I, I just, I, I, it took me a moment just to kind of get over this and I just began to feel this bitterness and anger and that sort of thing. Just felt like I needed to let it go. I ordered my food and proceeded around to, to pay and then the guy in front of me pulled up uh, to pick up his food. Now let me give you a little broader context about our local Chick-fil-A and their, uh, their, their policies and procedures. When it comes to the hundredth customer at our Chick-fil-A, you get your meal for free. So some of you guys already figured this out, okay, right? And, and when, they, when they give you their meal for free, they celebrate it in the best way possible. A large, obnoxious cowbell, right? And they start ringing that cowbell and everybody in Chick-fil-A is all excited except unless you're the 101st customer, which that's what I was, okay? And so I, was, I couldn't believe what was happening. I sat there for a moment just seeing this take place and everybody celebrating. It looked like they were giving him balloons and cash and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm like, what? That was my chicken sandwich. I couldn't believe that. And, and even to this day, I still have yet to be the 100th customer at Chick-fil-A. I just, and so it took me about a week to kind of get over this, right? I was so bitter. <laughs> Apparently I've got issues, you know. I was so bitter and I was so angry. And uh, about a week later, okay, this is not a pastor embellishment, okay? I'm telling you, this is, truthfully, this is what took place. So I showed up an, uh, a week later and I pulled into the drive-thru. This time as I was pulling in, there was another car that was going the wrong way in the, uh, in the parking lot and proceeded to make a U-turn into the drive-thru line at Chick-fil-A. And I did what any good Christian pastor would do. I hit the gas, right? <laughs> I, I went as fast as I could. I said, oh no, this is not happening again, right? And so I pulled forward and you know, I felt pretty good about that. I ordered my food and began to pull around, got my food and as I was driving off, I kid you not, do you know what I hear right behind me? It was the cowbell, right? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, God, you apparently have an incredible 
sense of humor, right? I'm just praying to God, will you ever relent and let me have be the hundredth customer? I couldn't believe it. But I thought this story illustrates beautifully our point today, right? This is the beginning of bitterness and anger in our life. It always starts with a seed, a small thing. And if we could sum up uh, in a simple summation what the the sentiment uh, that describes bitterness and anger, it's this right here. You owe me. Isn't that right? That's my chicken sandwich. If we were to sum up or boil down the idea of our bitterness and anger, it really can be summed up in these three simple words. You owe me. You, you stole my, my raise. You stole that front of, that's my promotion that I was supposed to have, right? If you knew how hard I worked, you knew how much I deserve that, right? You owe me. You owe me an apology. Somebody owes me respect. You, you, owe, you, you betrayed my trust. You betrayed my confidence. You, you broke my heart. You stole my childhood. This is the beginning of anger, anger and bitterness in our life. This simple concept right here. But here's the danger when it comes to anger and bitterness. If it's left unattended in your life for long. You see, anger and bitterness doesn't color inside the lines, does it? It begins to bleed out and, and, and infect other areas of your life as well, right? It's why a single perceived injustice can fuel even the most insignificant faults and offenses in other people. It's why, it's why something can happen at work. Your boss or your coworker does something to offend you and you go home and your frustration and your anger is taken out on your spouse or your kids, right? It's, you see, anger doesn't, doesn't stay between the lines. It, Matter of fact, anger and bitterness, it fuels other areas in our life. And even the most insignificant offenses become a big deal. Because anger or bitterness, left unattended for long, goes from you owe me to everyone owes me. Right? And here's the deal. If we leave this unchecked in our heart and it is allowed to fester and stir inside of us, I guarantee as long as you continue to hold out for payment, you in the end will be the one who pays. It will rob you of your joy and it will rob you of your peace. It clouds your judgment. You can't make good decisions when you're angry or frustrated or you're holding a grudge towards someone or towards someone else, right? And it distances you from your relationships, the people that you hold most dear. It begins to affect even the relationships of the people that you love the most if we allow bitterness and anger to remain in our lives. So let's take a look at what Paul has to say. Matter of fact, if we back up just one verse from the first verse we just read a few minutes ago about let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, this is what he says just preceding that. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you. Now that's a tall order, isn't it? When we really begin to consider, just for a moment, the extent to which God was willing to go to extend to us grace and forgiveness and love. And we see how much we've actually been forgiven 
It makes those offenses and those grudges that we've been holding against other people seem so insignificant, doesn't it? It's almost as if Paul was saying this, the pathway to peace is paved with forgiveness. If you want peace in your life, then forgiveness has to be a regular practice or discipline in your life. You've gotta be willing to let some things go. Matter of fact, we said at the outset of our, of our talk this morning that peace is going to cost you something. For some of you today, in order for you to reestablish this pathway of peace in your life, you're gonna have to let go of some debts that people owe you. As, as justified as your anger may feel, in order to regain peace, in your life, in order to mend relationships in your life, in order to get some clarity about the way that we make judgments in your life, you're going to have to let some things go. The pathway to peace is paved with forgiveness. Now, the second great enemy to peace, or the second great peace taker we're gonna talk today, is about worry. Now, Jim Collins in his book, uh, Great by Choice, talked about a particular type of worry or fear that's actually productive, or that's actually helpful. And we, we, always, we never associate fear and worry with actually something that's helpful, but when he talked about this, it made perfect sense. He calls it productive paranoia. It's the kind of worry and fear that causes us to put necessary safeguards up in our life, boundaries in our life that help protect us from real uh, dangers that are out there to protect our organizations, our businesses, our families, our, our, uh, us personally. There are things that we can control in our life, boundaries that we can create, safeguards that we can create that actually protect us. And he calls this productive. It's productive worry, a productive fear. It's things that we can control. It's where we get things like um, uh, uh, fire coats or seatbelt laws. For some of you who are parents in here, productive paranoia is you creating healthy boundaries for your teenagers to help protect and guard them from real dangers that are out there. There, are, there is productive worry and fear, things that we can control, but the reality is, is what we struggle with the most is that unhealthy preoccupation with things that are completely out of our control, right? And if we're honest, there really is no shortage of things to be worried about, especially if you have kids and you begin to look in our world and the world that they're gonna grow up, you could just be completely consumed with fear and worry. And here's what, here's what it does to us, right? Fear and worry causes us to fixate or to be completely consumed on this picture of the, maybe this feared reality. Like what if this were to take place? And as we become more consumed with it, as we become more fixated on this feared reality, in, in turn, what it's doing is it's, it's robbing you of peace and joy in other areas of your life, doesn't it? Some of you have been there before. You become so consumed in this one area, it doesn't matter what else is happening. All around you, all you can think about is this picture, this feared reality. What if? What if this happens? What are, 
What am I gonna do? And it's completely out of our control. And guys, we love control, don't we? We just love, matter of fact, we spend tons of resources, money, and time trying to control our worlds with cell phones and calendars and all. We spend so much time trying to control our, wor- our world so that when it comes to things that are out of our control, we just become consumed and fixated. And here's what it does. It blocks out. It robs you of joy and peace. All the things that are happening around you that are good, you miss out on. It distances you in your relationships with other people because you can't focus on other people when you're so consumed with worry and with fear, right? And it clouds your judgment. You don't make good decisions when you're afraid, right? Here's what Jesus said about worry and fear. In Matthew chapter six, verse 27, he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I mean, what good is it? What benefit comes from us being consumed and fixated on these things that we cannot control? Here's what Mother Teresa said. I love this quote. It says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength, right? Let's take a look at what Paul says. His solution, so to speak, to worry and fear. It's found in Colossians, very next passage. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Doesn't that seem like odd and out of place? Especially when you consider the context from which Paul is actually writing this. You have to understand that he's actually writing this from a Roman jail cell. He's unjustly imprisoned, beaten, starved, and he's fearful that he might actually lose his life at any moment, right? If anyone had the right to be bitter and angry, worried or afraid, it was Paul. But listen to what Paul says to us. Colossians 3.16, and be thankful. He said, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish or encourage one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's as if to say, Paul is saying to us, the antidote to fear and worry is knowledge and gratitude. The antidote to fear and worry is knowledge and gratitude. Now, there'd be some out there that would say, you've got a bad picture. We have this feared reality that we're fixated on and consumed by, right? And in order to, in order to free yourself from fear and worry, you've got to get a different picture. You've got to replace the negative thoughts with positive thoughts, You've got to take out the bad picture and put in a good picture, right? You've got to change or eliminate the bad and put in the new. The reality is, as many of us think that that's the way that we handle worry and fear. And many of us would actually say, this is probably what Paul was saying, but this is not at all what Paul was saying. Matter of fact, that form of thinking is actually a form of denial. Paul is not saying you need a new picture or a better picture. He's saying you need a bigger picture. Because here's what happens, and we just did it a few minutes ago when we began to sing these incredible songs and spiritual songs, right? They're packed full of incredible truth, aren't they? And as something just 
miraculous happens as we begin to sing these songs and we fill our mind and ultimately our soul, especially with music, right? We fill our minds and soul with, with these incredible, powerful truths in the moment of our greatest fears and worries, right? We don't, we don't take out the bad picture and replace it with a new picture. We're staring down our greatest concerns, this picture of a feared reality. We don't we don't find new information, we find better information, right? We begin to look at this picture and understand that God is right there with us in the midst of our greatest fears, concerns, and worries. That he hasn't left us, he hasn't forsaken us, and that God can redeem all things. We find in God's word, and we find through knowledge and truth, especially through the singing of songs and spiritual songs, we find this incredible truth that God is not only intimately aware and involved in our circumstances, but that he is infinitely above all circumstances as well. Do you see the difference? It's a game changer. When we begin to not find a new picture to focus on, but just get a bigger picture, and there's nothing like worship and, and truth, God's word. So Paul's saying, Paul's saying, the greatest antidote to fear and worry is knowledge and gratitude. When we can stand and say, God, even though I'm in the midst of what seems like a hopeless situation, I know that you are greater than all things and that you can work through all things and I'm just grateful that you know me, you know what I'm going through and you will be with me. I don't have to do this thing alone, right? One of my favorite books of the year by far the best book that I've read all year was by John Ortberg. The name of the book, um, the, the name of the book was called Soul Keeping. All right, great, fantastic book. And, and in his book, he talks about this particular idea. He actually calls this whole idea of fear, worry, and anxiety, he refers to it as troublesome thought, right? I think that's a great way to uh, express that. But he said, troublesome thought is simply defined as this. It's a way of thinking that doesn't take God into account. That worry, fear, anxiety is simply a way of thinking that eliminates God from the equation. So what Paul's trying to say is you don't need a better picture. You just need a bigger picture. So... Uh, a couple of years ago when Abby was born, we went through some really difficult trying times. And I can just tell you, when it's your little girl and you're going through that, there is no fear and worry like the fear and worry you have for your own kids. And for months, we, just, we were just agonizing over, we don't know what was going to happen with her. We were going from appointment to appointment to appointment. And every time we went to a different appointment, it seemed like they were finding a new complication with her heart. Finally, about uh, when she was six months old, we went to the doctor and they, they found some pretty significant defects that had to be repaired. And they dropped the news that just hit us like a ton of bricks. They said, she's gonna have to have a second surgery and her, her next surgery is gonna be far more complex and certainly more invasive. I just remember sitting in that office and, um, and my wife was there and of course little Abby was there and we were just, we were just speechless. 
Some of you guys have been in that moment where you just get news that just rocks your world. Some of you have been in far more difficult situations than we were, but you understand that you are just overcome, overwhelmed with fear and worry. We walked out of that hospital and we got into our car. We didn't say a word, we just sat there. And I just felt this weight of fear and worry upon us. And so as we sat there in silence for a few moments, I finally turned on the car. And as we turned on the car, a song came on the radio. And I'll never forget this. This was just such a poignant moment between us and God. The song that came on the radio was by Chris Tomlin. And it was the song, God of Angel Armies. You know the song. Such a powerful song, packed full of incredible truth. And he began to sing that song. I know who goes before me. And I said, man, it's true. My God, he, he saw this coming, it doesn't shake him. He saw it, he's, and he's, he's not shaken by this. He knows what's happening. He knows, he holds the future in his hands, right? And I know the God that goes behind, the God that has been faithful, the God that has been good to us, the God has saved us in the past. We know of his goodness and faithfulness. He's the God of angel armies and he's by our side. And I just remember sitting in that moment full of fear and worry and anxiety and all of a sudden it was as if the Holy Spirit entered that car and through the truth of God and the knowledge of God ushered in the peace of God in our lives. And we experience something that many of you have experienced before. It's what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter four. He says, it's the peace that surpasses understanding, right? It was the knowledge of God. In that moment, it was my belief and faith and understanding of who God is and how he operates that ushered in the peace of God. We said at the outset that peace is gonna cost you something. You can't afford to live without it. For some of you, peace is going to cost you a debt that you've been holding on to, hoping that would be repaid. Let's be honest. There's no way in the world that person or those people are ever going to pay you what you hope to get. So if you want peace, you gotta practice forgiveness. You gotta let go of that debt. It's gonna cost you. For some of us that are just racked with fear and worry and you're fixated by this picture of a feared reality, for some of us we're trying so hard to control our future. Today, what it's gonna cost you, what peace is gonna cost you, is control. Letting go of control, the things that you can't control, and putting into the hands the God that controls all things. Let me pray for you now. God, we are grateful for your word and the promises of peace in your word. God, we understand that for many of us, this idea, that reality just seems to elude us, God. So I pray today, God, that you would give us the confidence the courage and the ability, God, to let go of some things that we've been holding on to, whether it be trying to control things that are completely out of our control and allowing worry and fear to consume us. Or maybe, God, we're holding out a debt. We're hoping for a payment, God, and in the meantime, it's destroying our soul, God. Give us the, the ability and the courage to let go of some things today. 
and to see your peace, the peace of God, flood our souls. God, we love you. We pray all of this in the incredible name, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.